0: Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces. Bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts, who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 13 of the Power Play podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Kyron Powell. How are you, Kai? I'm um, good, John. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, like I said. Um, well, like I said previously, we're thawing out, it's still minus temperatures here in Manchester, so um, obviously you're basking in the sun, so I'm rather jealous of that.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't would say what the temperature is, so I'll oh, just leave it as it's... Um... No, please don't, please don't. <laughs>
1: um, but obviously I wanted to sort of dive in straight away in terms of... The um, you know the first test had just finished for today or last night during the night for um, Australia versus the West Indies. What, what did you make of the first test?
2: Um, as as a test match, obviously extremely disappointing to finish on the morning of day three. Um, yeah. But for what for what is there? Um, I don't think anyone sort of expected anything different. Um, when you look at the West Indies team um, going into the into the series and into the match. You've heard lots of talk about an inexperienced batting lineup from three to three to six, three to seven. Um, so I don't think anything else was, was sort of expected. Uh, maybe a score or two from Brathwaite or Shandapal, um, but outside of that, I don't think much different was expected, and so. Um, it was kind of the outcome we preempted um, yeah. from a batting standpoint. But from a bowling standpoint, obviously, Shamar Joseph, yeah. a and test debut, um, faced him last year in first-class cricket. don't remember him <laughs> creating all these this problems. But um, no, it looks an interesting one because I've, I've looked through his stats, actually. He's played six first-class matches now, including his test debut. Yeah, he's got four, um he's got three four wicket hauls, so he's obviously a wicket taker. Um, yeah, gets gets people out. Um, and so that's good. That's an interesting find. Um, I think that Alzari probably needs to bowl a bit fuller. It's something that you know we've been trying to get him to do for a long time. Oh right, but, but okay. He bowl, yeah, he bowls a a more sort of wide ball length. Um, right. whereas in Test match cricket, you you see the clubs that get more success are generally that pitch the ball up and give it a chance to do something. Obviously, you get hit for a, a four or two more, but then you you have a lot more wicket taking options as opposed to being back in the pitch. So yeah, I think that's that's a change that we can expect or we would hope to see um, from a bowling standpoint. But from a batting standpoint, I'm not sure that there's anything different to be expected in the second test match.
1: Yeah, I just you touched on it there in terms of obviously from three downwards. the you know, I think you've got Kurt McKenzie in his second test, you know, a nice half century and the other lads there, I feel a little bit sorry for the fact that they haven't got that experience there in terms of, obviously, you've you've got Brathwaite and Shandipal, as you mentioned, but even then, Paul, I think that was, maybe it's only his 10th test match. You know, it's not, it's it's not experienced. You know, it's probably the first time he's played a test match in Australia, maybe not, maybe... No, he made his debut in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So you know it, it's tough. So then you're in these young lads in; it, 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 they really need that experience and people to pull in up from. And 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 I think like they have, you know, you, some of them have shown some real good talent. Um, but it's hard. They need that to, you know, that nurturing into into the test match arena, which is what we've spoke about loads of times. Obviously, is the, is the pinnacle of of the sport. Um, and I just hope that maybe there's a way of trying to embed maybe some experience into that squad to help, you know, these players along the way.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, it's, it's not great. Um, any any sort of test team going in where, I guess, you're open over 10 test matches and yeah. it's one of the more experienced and, and uh, pressured players, it's not it's not really great because then you look at the mid-larder, number three, two matches, number four, um three matches, number five, one, number six, one. Yeah. So I mean, the whole you sort of from number two to number six hasn't hasn't played um twenty matches between them. No. Um no. and so obviously the expectations going into a first class match, a, a two day club mm-hmm. match, anything, yeah. um, with, with that little experience obviously is it's gonna be a daunting proposition. Um much less going up against that bowling attack um, yeah. that, yeah, they've got the most wickets as a quartet ever in the history of cricket to be in one bowling group. Um, and so it's it's not going to be easy. And obviously, so Josh Hazel would get on a run, I guess, in both first and second innings. Um, yeah. and you know, these, these, these things were, I guess, sort of expected, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, the way that uh Hazel was bowling, especially and then Cummings in the first innings as well. You know, they could be play they could have played 30, 40 test matches each. Sometimes you can't do much with that bowling attack, like you mentioned. It, it is formidable at the best of times. Um so it is always going to be a tough tough ask. I also think it has a probably has an impact on um Craig Brathway being the captain and being at the top of the order. Because I remember speaking to yourself when we were talking about the Super 50 and you were saying that you know, it's the, probably the first time in a bit where you've had that uh, freedom to really go out there and sort of put the pressure back on the bowlers. And it was a sort of a game plan. But I can imagine that Brathwaite's sort of game play is probably sort of to be quite reserved because he's got to try and anchor the innings at the top of the order. But yet, it, it, I, I can imagine it puts quite a lot of limitations on on him, really.
2: Well, he's he's normally a very reserved person, um, for player to begin yeah. with. At the best of times, you know, he's not an ag- aggressive type player. Mm-hmm. But I think it might, I guess, sort of work in his favor if he if he tries to be a bit more positive as opposed to taking it on. Because I mean, someone may have a day out, but realistically, um, obviously the numbers are stacked against them. Yeah, and so even even if he anchors the innings, um, and bats through what let's say he will get what, how how much not will really get with an experienced team. You know, you're talking about most guys, you're talking about guys under five test matches. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, therefore, he probably should look to go and, and put a stamp on the Australian bowling attack. And if anything, try and put them on the back foot and allow the other guys to come into the game, allow the other batters to bat with a bit more freedom, you know, because the bowlers are under pressure. And yeah. trying to get it back into good areas, Bill Presset, et etc. Because he's asserted himself on the bono attack. So I think if anything, that's I guess the change I'd love to see. Um, obviously from from him being the senior player on on that tour with how many of a test matches he's played now, um, yeah. and trying to find <laughs> a way to get as a collective the batting unit to have a chance of putting up a better score. Yeah.
1: And do you think that with the way that they've obviously picked this squad as such, do you think they've got to ride this out for a, a good few months now, in terms of from a test match perspective? I know we, again we again we spoke about it before about the volume of test cricket that the West Indies play, but with them picking this experience line up, to, you know, as we mentioned, do you think they <laughs> have to ride this out regardless for a, a long sustained period
2: of time? I hope not. Um the next the next tour is not gonna be any easier. The next tour thesbon is England, so um yeah. whereas whereas in Australia it's just a matter of pace and bumps and obviously the consistency and accuracy of of the Australian attack that you have to yeah. deal with um in England, the ball's gonna be stringing around and doing a lot more um which isn't gonna be easy or great for for batting um generally I mean they are fixing flatter pitches for basketball and that in itself brings into effect a whole other factor in terms of um, demoralizing a team or a player being in the field for a day a team racking up 500 runs in a day and declaring within 90 overs you know so um, I guess there will be lots of different propositions on hand in in, in that tour Um, but again it's not going to be any easy it's international cricket now yeah England are currently out in India and depending on how that tour goes, obviously they're gonna be looking to I guess come back harder if they do well to go even harder. So it's it's either it's gonna be hard or harder for them. You know, it's not gonna be easier regardless of of what happens. So um I think test cricket is not the place to be, I guess, sort of trying or blooding people. I guess you can do that more in limited overs cricket and get away because you know the time frame is as, as the name give, give, gives away, um, it's it's limited whereas in test cricket, you know, because it's such a long period of time, I mean, five days span of time, think about yeah, yeah. the amount of things you can do from Monday to Friday and that's just one test match, you know, you you would have worked every single day, you would have done so many other things yeah, and they would have played one test match. Um, so I think that definitely probably get, I mean, I'd, I'm not saying discard these players obviously, but like, get get some more, maybe two, three more senior senior players in there um, and sort of solidify the team a bit more and give yourself a chance to take games deeper and potentially win.
1: Yeah, definitely. What did you make of the Australian selection for um, obviously opening the batting with Steve
2: Smith? I like it. Um, I, I was... Getting a bit nervous there, thinking that he would retire because I'm I'm a huge Steve Smith fan. Yeah, um, if Steve Smith's playing cricket and Steve Smith's batting, I'm watching. It doesn't yeah. matter where I'm at in the world, as long as Steve Smith's batting, I'm watching. Um, I think the closest thing that we've had to touching God's hand from since Don Bradman um, <laughs> is the way I like to describe it. Uh, he's gotten the closest to doing it as a cricketer, and so yeah. I think it's a very interesting proposition. Do I think he'll be successful? Yes, because he's been successful at every other thing else that he's yeah. done. In cricket, he likes to have a challenge. Um, I think he obviously got bored batting at number four, um, which he quite clearly stated. Um, he needed a new challenge to refresh him and keep him going in, in test cricket or it might have been the end of him. So yeah, I think it's good for him. It's good for the game. Um, probably it will take away a bit of of his consistency um, because he is going to be facing that new ball um, with three slips of gully, all these other things. Um, But with that in mind, I think that when he does have a day out, it could actually be bigger than in past occasions as well. So, it, it, I mean, it sort of counterbalances itself in that way because, I mean, him coming in at the top of the order whereas He'd come in at the end of the first session. Now he gets to bat the entire day. So, as opposed to being 80, yeah. 70, not out on the, at the end of the first day, he could now be 140, 150. Um, and that's a dangerous proposition for any, any team with a clear, the likes of Steve Smith, yeah. coming back on the start of day two, 150, not out. You're talking about triple centuries. Yeah?
1: yeah, definitely. I just, I think, to touch on what you said there. I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the boredom aspect. I think that he's quite clearly got a bit bored, a bit stagnated. Batting at number four, he mentioned obviously batting behind Marnus. You know, he's been waiting, he feels like he's waiting around a lot. And I think that he goes to show how good he is. He's someone who goes, you know what, I'm going to test myself again. I'm going to go and open, I want to go and open the batting. I think that's a real credit to him. And obviously, people are turning around and asking, you know, whether it'll work or not. I've got no doubt in my mind that it'll work because he'll make it work. It's simple as that. He'll put the hours in, practice in, he'll do everything that he can control. And it's only a matter of time before, like you said, he gets an absolute big one because the extra time that he'll have at the crease from you know, opening the batting perspective, he'll just,
2: he'll, you will he'll, he'll get, he'll get a monster soon, It's no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's a scary proposition for world cricket because I heard Michael collapse in an interview, um, watch out, Brian Lauer 400. I was like, oh, watch out, Brian Lauer 400. But then, I mean, if this, one guy that looks batting enough yeah. to go out and challenge himself to, oh, I'm a bit bored. Should I try and get 400? Let me try and get 400. Yeah. All right, that's my target. Yeah, and he gets a good pitch and a good outfield. It could be, it could be curtains for um, Brian Lara second time by an Australian. <laughs> so yeah, would yeah. be interesting. No, definitely.
1: I just the only, the only thing that I found. A little bit uh, from the negative perspective was the impact it possibly had on the likes of uh, Matthew Renshaw, uh, Marcus Harris, and Cameron Bancroft, in the fact that they've, you know, it's been talked about for ages about Warner retiring, and these three were sort of earmarked to take over, um, you know, doing what they've done in in playing and uh, the Sheffield Shield. A lot of them have been doing the thing uh, for Australia A. Do you think that does have a negative impact on? The three that we've mentioned
2: there, and maybe the dynamic of the Australia squad. Um, potentially, but I mean that's that's the nature of not just sport but business on a whole. I mean, it's sometimes you think that you're in perfect position for an opportunity that comes yeah. up and then you know, something else happens and side swipes that opportunity for you at that at that time. Um yeah. it, it doesn't help that the best batsman from since, Don Bradman, and you think about everyone that's played the game from Sachin Tendalkas to Brian Larris, Kumar Sangakars, decides, oh, I need a new challenge. Um, stick me up there. <laughs> All right, there we go. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for those guys as well, you know, you sort of look at Steve Smith and Usman Kawaji in terms of their age. They'll yeah. probably both go around the same time. Um, yeah. sort of figuring out maybe the next Ashes at Home yeah. would be sort of the last tour. Um, and that sort of puts these three guys just out of contention to come in because then you don't want to be bringing in guys 31, 32, 33. Um, right. That will right. go again yeah. in the next three, four years. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been, I guess, a bit unfortunate for them. Um, definitely unlucky to sort of find themselves in a position where um, yeah David Warner great Australian opener cross formats retires um and then Steve Smith um puts his hand up um, I guess people in India may feel the same um with Roy Sharma becoming um an ODI and a test opener but look how that's worked out for India yeah. one of the best openers that the game has seen um yeah. and it's just as, it's just one of those things when you have people of that nature of talent you have to find a way to i guess get them involved then and they'll find a way to make make it make it work Um, and that's that's just the nature of the beast um i don't know maybe one of these guys could convert themselves to a mid-lord about and say look i want to get into the middle then
1: well that's what that's what, what my thoughts were is that you know cameron green's coming at four in my opinion i think it probably is a little bit too high for him uh, and that's what you're saying about. The, I think these three have got to look at adapting their position and saying, to, you know, I that's that's my route into the side. Now I want to go and do that. I'll turn myself into, you know, a higher middle order batter and take my opportunity. I was wanted to touch on. Then I read a really interesting article um, a few weeks ago about uh, the retiring aspect of this great Australia, this great Australian side, and how they don't want to make the same mistake that happened when you know McGrath. Um, and all that, you know, the previous, you know, Langer, Hayden, et cetera, are retired. And it's going to be quite interesting to see how they go about planning for this because they don't want to make the same mistake. And you mentioned there about Kwaja you mentioned there about Steve Smith and the bowlers. It'd be quite interesting to see how they sort of plan it out in terms of trying to break. How do you learn from something like that? Because ultimately it is down to the player when they turn around and say, you know, enough is enough or another opportunity arises. Um, so I'll be interested to see how they play
2: that out. Yeah, I think Australia is, um, a different beast, generally. Australian selectors are known to tap a play on the shoulder and say, all right, <laughs> if you don't make the call, um, unfortunately we're going to make it for you. Mm. So, um, we, re- we recommend at the end of this series you right. give us a wave. Thank you for your time. Um, but it is, it is, and it will be very interesting because a lot of these players, um, uh, around the same age and around the same age, work together, played all their lives together. Um, you look at it, the bowling attack. Um, I think Nathan Lyon is probably the oldest, but again, it's probably easier for him to go longer than others, obviously being a spinner. Yeah. Um. You've got Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins, and it's going to be interesting to see how they get, I guess, phase out or who they phase out first and, you know, start giving opportunities to others because you got. Scott Boland and Lance Morris and all these other guys yeah. waiting. Um but waiting and being in and around the pot and waiting and playing are two different things, you know, yeah. because they're not getting experience. They're only getting older. Yeah. Um so it's not as if they come in. It doesn't matter if you come in at twenty nine with five games, you're still twenty nine with five games, you know. As yeah. opposed to potentially giving that to someone that comes along maybe in the next year, two years and well- They'll be 24-25 and they've got ten years of get yeah. ahead of them for time So it's it's going to be interesting to see how and when they phase that out because in the batting now, I think that they can comfortably say. Obviously, they've got Manus and Travis or Head, pad. yeah, to carry to carry that middle order. Um, yeah, Mitch Marsh again is also in his thirties as yeah. well, uh, so he'll probably go in around the same time as. As the bowling unit uh, just after Steve Smith and those boys as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess you can see why they were so adamant as well to get um, Cam Green back into the team Yeah, yeah they yeah, needed definitely. to have some solidity in in that batting unit. If you can have at least a middle of steady um a thought that they may have moved up um Travis Head to number four yeah. I and mean, like Cam Green in at five. But I thought that. It as yeah, it seemed as it was a situation where everyone was comfortably in their positions and it's just the one spot that became open. And so he just had to start in and I guess that's where he bats in first class for him.
0: Yeah, I think
1: that like moving Travis Head, he's you know he's, he's in this red hot form that he's been in for a while now as well. And you know, why why change something that doesn't necessarily need to be changed? You know, it might come in, in due course from a from a, a strategy perspective or trying to fit somebody in a side, but there's no point. I didn't I thought he would have gone to four, but at the end of the day, why why change somebody who's firing in another great century as well?
2: I mean, is there anything better than watching Travis Head and Mitch Marsh back together at the moment?
1: I know. I know. It's just disruptive. You just every bad ball, they just seem to catch into every single bad ball.
2: And some good ones as well. Well, yeah, 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 there is it, that. It, I mean, it does help that they they open the batting together in one day cricket as well. Yeah. Um, they do have that for me.
1: So the under-19 World Cup starts today in South Africa. Um, I think that, you know, it's a, it looks like there's plenty of young talent on show. Um and hopefully, like this is going to be the first time that they get their, like the great experience of tournament cricket and the exposure. Um, what so? What sort of? What do you take on how you sort of perceive how the Under Nineteen World Cup will sort of be taken? Really for them, young lads.
2: No, it's an amazing um, opportunity, great platform. I remember back in two thousand eight when I played in the Under Nineteen World Cup in Kuala Lumpur. It was um, obviously your first taste of. I guess international tournament place so you get to test yourself against the best players in the world at your age group Um yeah. see, see how you stack up where you need to improve um, obviously just understanding how people play the game in different parts of the world as well um, yeah which is it is it's culturally different um, and and it was it was just a shock to the system I mean <clears throat> actually did really well in minority work. I think I was the second highest run score in the tournament or something like that. Wow fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I did do really well. But look like, it's just um a great, great experience for these young guys and, and you know I, I think that it will be even more so now than ever before. Like a great launching pad because I mean every country now has some form of PL yeah. <laughs> um whatever it so there's um, lots of opportunities for these guys. Um, obviously, the guys that are stand-up players go straight into, I guess, franchise teams as emerging yeah. pathway players get that sort of exposure. Um, some guys go straight into international cricket um, and take off. I mean, you look at Sherman Gill right now and how he's flying in, in ODI cricket. now, um, And he was just in the under-19 captains, I think. Was it two editions before this or something like that? Um, yeah. And you just look at the list of players now internationally that have come out of the under nineteen World Cup. Um, it's it's becoming like a very nice roster of players, but yeah, it it's it's starting to serve as like a really important pathway, um, pathway gateway, whatever the case is, um, to um, professional cricketers on their journey to becoming, if not international cricketers, at least professional cricketers in the sense of trotting on these T20 leagues around the world. I mean, when when I think back to the tournament that I played in, you had Brett Hawley, you had yeah, maybe Steve Smith. That, yeah. yeah you had Steve yeah. Smith, you had Kane Williamson, I think there was Joe Root, um, you had Josh Hazelwood, um, Tim the Ravindra Jadija. Um, yeah. You know, so many, so many players that have, I mean, these guys are all obviously now great of of the game and have gone on to serve their countries uh, and yeah. international trade pretty really well. Um and so yeah, it's just it's an amazing opportunity. Um South Africa is gonna obviously put on a good show for these yeah. for these young kids. I'm really excited about it. I think the West Indies are playing in thirty minutes time or something like that. Yeah. They start their first game against South Africa. Yeah. They start their first game against South Africa. So that I mean again in itself for them is gonna be something that they've never experienced now, playing against South Africa in South Africa, a host nation in a World Cup and you know the, the pressures of um that. But it's just more so than anything, just I guess an opportunity for these young guys to go and test themselves against the best players at their age groups. Um because, you know, for example, some of these guys are gonna go back into from the Caribbean standpoint anyway, gonna go back into regional forty cricket starting um in a few weeks, you know, and yeah. to come out of Trinity like this, there's, there's a lot of learning that can take place and, and be transferred into into your game, into becoming a full professional now, um going forward and how they then mold themselves and carry themselves.
1: Yeah, definitely. With your involvement, um did you did you feel as as going into that tournament that it was going to be your launch pad or did he was you so focused on that opportunity at that moment, if you know what I mean.
2: Well, I'll give you an interesting story. Um, I think my, my sort of launch pad moment happened before that. Right. Um Because this, around the time where there was that Stanford T20 stuff happening. In yes. Gavon, yes. And I played in the um first Stanford T20 tournament in 2006. When I was 16, I played for Nevis in that. Right. Um, right. And so I went to the West Indies, when I went to the Under 19 World Cup for the West Indies Under 19 team, mm-hmm. whilst I was there, um, unbeknownst to me, all of this stuff was happening in the background, um, where Alan Stanford was trying to get me to float back from Malaysia to play in the Stanford T20 tournament. Um, I only found this out years after, like when I was like in my twenties and already playing for first- us. Ah, okay. Um, the West Indies, Border were adamant know he's representing West Indies and stuff. And he got in contact with my dad and sort of offered him like um, a blank check. Like you just put in whatever figure um, and we want him to come back. We're going to wow. send a private Um and bring him back to Antigua to play in Stanford T20. And then it sort of even came to the point where he's like, okay, we're going to fly him back. He plays... Um, in Antigua and then we are flying back to Malaysia so they continue playing on anti workout and stuff. <laughs> I was like the man offered you a blank check. What are you doing? He's like, we could have retired if we even started. What you what, what have you done? But it's so funny, um but bless him, um obviously Clyde Butts who's just recently passed away, um he was our manager on that trip. Um And he went on to become West chairman of selectors. Um And he was actually very instrumental in keeping it there and, you know, keeping my mind away from, cause I didn't have any idea. So he, he, he guarded me yeah. from all that information and allowed me to, you know, focus on, oh, on that. The team really good. Um He's always been like a father, like figure to me and, you know, rest his soul. Um, he's passed on now, but he was very instrumental in allowing me to just go along my journey. Um, as as I should do instead of I mean could have been a T twenty franchise baby you know could have been the first
1: you could have been there yeah. mm-hmm. but I suppose, like you said in, in hindsight yeah he's loaded thing but the fact that you had someone who was looking after your future in terms of like making you remain focused is obviously something that you can't put up. it's invaluable really having that sort of yeah. um, mentorship to to keep you focused and stuff I'm looking forward to to you know watching the tournament and. You know, I, I love watching it in the way where you can sort of earmark players who you think are going to turn into to greats and stuff. And you see people and you think, wow, you know, you're in you know, you've got a great batting technique, or you you see a bowler and you think they've got that raw express pace, or that, so, you know, from a spinning perspective. I'm, so I'm really looking forward to watching how how the tournament goes. Really, um, and like I said, I just hope that they have the. You Know they get that big exposure and the, that big break, and they go and take that opportunity when it comes because, like you said, a lot of these greats of the game have come from the under 19 platform and then they've gone back home and done what they've gone and done. So it's going to be a great, a great opportunity. And I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on it.
2: No, 100. Um, even from that last under 19 World Cup in the Caribbean, like you remember names like um, Duarte Brevis, who I thought yeah, was an absolute that, yeah absolute world beating in that tournament and there was um, Dino Walal from Sri Lanka here who's gone yeah. out to play for Sri Lanka as well um, quite disappointed that the tournament got shifted from Sri Lanka at the last minute because then I would have been able to go and see well, a few games and see um, players definitely. in person you know? Always, you know it's always nice to go and see these guys at that age because I mean they're so passionate as well they think as though you know the world absolutely depends on like you know Getting through that stage you know, the under nineteen world cups and winning, etc. Yeah. Um, so the effort that they put up, you know, it's just it's just pure love and passion for yeah. for a sport at that age as well, which is so great to see. Yeah, it is, it's lovely. It's lovely.
1: So I recently read an article as well that ahead of the T uh, twenty World Cup, they are going to be doing like a drop in. Um, wicket from the Adelaide Oval into the uh, stadium in New York. What do you make of that?
2: So just before we got on here, um, I actually read that same article and it's like, um, I think it's like 10 pitches or something that they're taking. Yeah. yeah um, so the guy had said that he's just come back from being out in the US. I think now he's transported the pitches to the US. So the pitches are in Florida at the moment now. Yeah. And, They're being grown, um, rolled, however the hell these dropping pitches are uh, procured. And so, no, that's that's an interesting thing because he also said, look, they're going to drive these pitches up to New York. So it's going to take two days to drive them up to New York. And then, obviously, there was another release early in the week from, I guess it was the ICC, um, putting out um, 3D renderings of what the the ground in New York is gonna look like. Um yeah, but also stating that there's gonna be no cricket on these pitches before the World Cup. So nobody knows what they're gonna play. That's like. what I mean. I couldn't believe that when I read that bit. Couldn't believe it. Yeah that's that's mind blowing to me. That's I mean that again I'm pretty sure that's never happened um uh, there's not been at least one tester match on a pitch before an international game, much less a World Cup. Um, so it's it's all first, um but I guess you sort of have to give and take with it being in in New York and them not yeah. having access to uh, a natural cricket ground I mean because I think they're converting Eisenhower park um and what I've seen as well, which is interesting is that they reusing some of the bits from the Formula One yeah um is it the last biggest race to build this stands and stuff think- around as well
1: yeah. But like I said, the, sorry, sorry, like you were saying, the 3D render looks amazing at the stadium, and it looks—it's really impressive. But I just don't get why they can't you have you know use the warm up have some warm up matches there, yeah. or at least have some form of cricket there, so you can at least test it because not only from a cricket pitch perspective but they've also got to ensure it works to get people in the venue there's no issues with you know from a fire safety perspective or however many health and safety things you've got to do you need to probably have some form of warm up on the whole situation not just on the wicket
2: yeah i mean (laughs) it's it's interesting because as as you've said all the possibilities that can come about, you also have to remember that this is the venue that will host India-Pakistan. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, if, if ever there were a venue that needed to be tested, yeah. be safe, and have a good cricket um, wicket, it will be, for the entire World Cup, it will be this one because this is going to host the biggest match of the tournament. Um, yeah. and, and not just even the cricket or uh, the stadium itself, but like you look at the infrastructure around and it handle, I guess, yeah that much traffic. Because I know the stadium is only gonna be a thirty four thousand seater, but there will be more people on the outside of that stadium in New York. You think about New York, such a cultural melting pot, one of the biggest, if not the biggest city in the world, definitely the biggest in terms of media and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um and the diaspora from Pakistan from India from from Asia from the Caribbean um, and it just people that have a general freaking interest yeah. that are gonna fly to that to that area just to be around. Um, obviously, not being able to be there, but you know, some people just want to see the teams coming in. Some people just want to see the bus going up. I mean, they just sight their favorite players that they're not able to get that close to under normal circumstances. So um, it's gonna be a, a, an interesting test, um, not just for the venue, but just In general, Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's one thing. Like we,
1: the USA hosting, it's got this amazing opportunity to bring cricket into into the USA, which is absolutely great for our sport. I just hope that from an infrastructure perspective, it's it, it works and they get it right, so that there's not issues that over that you know that make it into the media. So, for instance, India versus Pakistan there, and there's issues with X or there's issues with Y, and then it becomes you know, in the news because that's not what we want. We want it to be completely positive about how, you know, India versus Pakistan was this amazing sellout occasion and the atmosphere was electric and it was brilliant to see it in New York. And I just hope that everything works from a, from an infrastructure perspective and it comes out in the most positive way. And it's not issues in terms of, you know, from you like go back to the wicket thing that they're they all these wickets in and next thing you know it's a it's a 60 all out versus a, you know, a, a 60 for eight chasing, for instance. And it's like, oh you know let's make this the best let's give this the best opportunity it can be to be an absolute you know big springboard into USA for cricket
2: I'm also thinking logistically I mean obviously now it's not the easiest to get from the Caribbean all the way to the west coast um time differences yeah. um, flights et etc I mean from from New York and Miami I think it's like five and six hours all the way across the um LA obviously you still have to get from the Caribbean, et cetera. But yeah. The 2020 Olympics is in LA. So I was wondering if it were an opportunity to sort of try and, you know, work on infrastructure on that side of the country as well, you know, so that people, players, everyone sort of had like a a starting point. Yeah. As opposed to everything happening out east this time and then in a few years' time everything shifting shifted Shifter. um yeah. up west. Yeah. yeah. So Interesting um, dynamics in play. No, Obviously, definitely. from a cost perspective, um, it makes more sense to keep everything on the east coast. But you're just thinking long term and, and bigger picture here.
1: No, definitely. And like I said,
2: hopefully, they'll just get it right. But it, no doubt
1: that they will do, and it becomes a you know it's an amazing occasion. So, well, thank you very much for. For, for joining me as always and it's been you know brilliant as always to listen to you and a little less copping from me today so it's a lot a lot easier to listen to
2: <laughs> um before we jump off jordan i just I, I just want to get your thoughts now on um obviously that big india um england series coming up um what what should we expect
1: um i'm looking forward to it I think that um you know off the back of the, the test series um, with Australia, the way that England started and the way that they finished. I hope the momentum carries into the first test. It's just obviously going to be really challenging in different conditions, and I think that I'd like to see um, how England go about the the positivity that they, the, you know this basketball aspect, but the positivity side of things against some of the top spinners, um, and hopefully then I'd be interested to see and looking forward to see Jack Leach back. I think we really missed him. Um, in the Ashes series I think that with him in that side it could have been completely different the series but that's you know you pick up injuries and that's life and that's cricket so I'm looking forward to seeing him back and, and maybe you know featuring Rayan Ahmed the young leg spinner I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes and hopefully he fi- he features really um, but again it's, it's going to be a massive test but um, you know Stokes playing just as a batter which we, we, we know about anyway
2: um, but yeah I'm looking forward to what do you think? I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I've seen a lot in the press about England's preparation in Abu Dhabi. Well, <laughs> Some people saying that they are to Yas Island to play golf. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the preparation hasn't been ideal. I mean, obviously, it's it's well world, it's worlds away um, from obviously culturally. Um, the food time zones aren't really that big of a difference. Um, no. The services that they'll get in Abu Dhabi to prepare on, as opposed to um, out in India, and obviously. I mean, as we saw the last time England went out to India and won the first test match, they really revved up those pitches and yeah, um, the ball started, started going sideways. So, I mean, it would have probably given them a better chance. I mean, I guess it always does. It At the end of the day, it might not make a difference. It may, no. it may make just 1% of a difference. It may make 50% of a difference. But yeah. to be practicing in the actual conditions that you're going to go and play in, um, yeah. Even if just from a peace of mind standpoint to know that, you know, I've been out here in these conditions and, you know, um I feel prepared. Um yeah. could go a long way in helping and I think it's mostly gonna be helping the batters on this trip, more so than anything, because it's it's not gonna be pitches where they just hit through the line that they did this summer against Australia and yeah. some nice flat English wickets, You know, the balls are gonna be turning. some may keep low, some will pop. Um, how many streams can you sweep before a sweep is too much? You know things like yeah. that that come yeah. play.
1: No, yeah. and the point there about about the um, about playing in you know warming up in India and playing there. Uh, this what Otis mentioned in, in, in when we did the podcast with him. You know he was saying that what, you know we get over there, you know, what have you warm up matches and stuff, and maybe that 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 will highlight in the preparation. It, you might see something like that where the, you know we might get England might get rolled in the first test, second test you see a bit of progression, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whereas the idea being is that you have these warm-up matches. I know the England Lions, for instance, are playing in UAE, so I don't really know. I don't really see why England couldn't have been playing there now against India A or you know against whatever eleven that they put out from a preparation perspective. But surely, like you know, from your perspective as a, as a player, you'd want to be batting in the closest conditions possible to the first Test match.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, the more time you can get in those conditions, the better it is. You look at when England last won the Ashes out in Australia, yeah. they spent like a month beforehand yeah. out in Australia going mm-hmm. around to all the different um, states and getting used to conditions, you know, building up from two day games to three day games to four day games and went yeah. into that series. You know? um, obviously, it takes away a lot of time, um, and that's test cricket. Like, it takes away a lot of time from. From home with your family and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's the nature of the beast if you want to be competitive awesome. at, at that level.
1: Do you think that it would that fall down to to Brendan McCullum as head coach and Stokes as captain in from a decision perspective where they go preparation wise? Or would that come
2: higher up potentially? I think I don't think that they have that much power. I think that they can make um suggestions uh, right. it would more I guess in collaboration with a with a Rob Key and whoever else, right. the decision are in in English cricket. Um, how they see best to get the team prepared for um, a series, wherever it is in the world. Um, yeah, they could use Abu Dhabi to get preparation for tours of South Africa. You know, I mean, it's just and it and it may just work. You know, it, yeah. it may just be their the, the point of um, preferred destination yeah. where they feel as if this is where they can get the best out of the players preparation-wise and, and yeah. keep them fresh.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, the preparation in Abu Dhabi works and they get what they need to get done. And we see, you know, some real competitive test cricket, because I think that, you know, India obviously are obviously massive favourites going into it. Well, I won't say massive favourites, but they favourites going into it. I just hope to see that you know, progression from the last two, uh, last test matches against Australia and into this. And we see the lights of Ben Duckett continue scoring runs. And I think Harry Brook, he's, he's going to be a, quite a testing series for him. And I think that he's played, I know it's a different format, but he's played a bit um, in the IPL and stuff. So he's probably used a bit more
2: conditions and stuff. So I'd like to see a big series from him, really. Well, I think the conditions in the IPL are completely different to Test cricket. Yeah, I know. Yeah, look, um, I've played test matches in India and it's it's really it's really tough day three, four and five. Um, and depending on and how they want it to go, it can yeah. be tough at the start of the game as well. Whereas when yeah. you play one day, two twenty cricket, you get some absolute belters. Um, hence the scores that you see. Scores, yeah. In India. So um you may be familiar with India, but um in terms of conditions and seeing Ashwin and Jadeja... I Guess spinning one sideways and bowling the exact same ball that goes straight on—it's—it's it's something that you just have to, I mean, you've you've had to grow up a bit to, no. to be
1: used to it. I guess no, definitely. Well, it's one—it's one that we'll uh, definitely discuss over the next couple of podcasts, no doubt, and we'll uh, see how it goes. And we'll—I'm looking forward to your insights and seeing what you make of the of the series as well.
2: Yeah, definitely will be an exciting series. Um, test cricket is always good, especially when we've had such um, a huge run of limited overs cricket for the past uh, few weeks and months, obviously, yeah. with all the T20 um, leagues starting up now for the big bash, um, Oil T20. Um, the SA20 as well. SA20 um, and Bangladesh starts deal, yeah. as well. So yeah. it's always good to see. Um, some some blokes just grazing around a pasture and white for hours and hours of end.
1: <laughs> no, definitely. definitely. <laughs> well, like I said, I thank you very much for, to- for today. It's been good as always, and I hope you've all enjoyed listening. Um, so please uh, listen on Spotify, Apple Music, and other platforms. Plus, um, you know, watch along on YouTube and like and subscribe. So thank you very
2: much. Cheers, John. Cheers.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business, exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.